Uh, Open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to finish up this morning the last two of five controversies or collisions that Jesus had with the religious leaders. And today we're talking about how Jesus breaks rules so that he could change lives. And really it's just a, an understanding of the heart and the mission of Jesus. The fact that uh, he came to, to blow up the traditions that the religious leaders had in order that he might be able to actually get to uh, people's lives. And so we see that he continues to frustrate them. At the end, they come to the conclusion that he needs to go away. So it's, we'll re- begin in chapter 2, verse 23 this morning. Mark chapter 2, if you have it on your phone. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible or a copy of the Bible, we have them available for free outside. Please take it so that you can uh, study it and read it um, along with Siri or whatever else that you use uh, to read your Bible. Here it is. It says, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat? And also he gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was not made for man, Uh, Excuse me, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is, uh, and we'll pick up uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, because it's really the same day, this Sabbath day, that Jesus breaks their rules and changes lives. Now, uh, these five controversies, it began with he claimed to be God and forgive sin, beginning in chapter 2, that he was the friend of sinners in chapter 2, verse 13. He did not fast according to the religious traditions in chapter 2, and now he does not honor the Sabbath, the end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3. They came to the conclusion that Jesus needs to go away. He's not following their rules or their traditions of Judaism, the, the, the things that they added on to what God had commanded the children of Israel to obey, and so now he needs to go away. This is what happens, by the way, when religion takes over a person's life or a church's life or a movement's life. Uh, when you exchange the simplicity of loving God, right, the, the two great commandments, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. When you exchange a love for God and pursuing him with a love for religion, well, that's what happens. The Sabbath, you know, they become, well, people that become irritated and they actually want Jesus to go away. This was their cherished uh, law, the, the Sabbath. It was their cherished institution for the Jews. And Jesus violated their interpretation of this law. It began on Friday at sundown and it ended Saturday at sundown. It was given to the nation of Israel uh, by, by God himself when, they, uh, when he you know, moved them out. He rescued them out of the Egyptian bondage and slavery and he gave them the Sabbath. Uh, just like he said, it was God had created for six days and on the seventh day he rested. And God's command was that they were to actually do no work. They weren't to run their business. They weren't to send their workers out to do work. They were to rest 
and relax and rejoice and actually uh, refuel their lives. It was meant to be a blessing, but the, the religious leaders added so many different regulations to it, it ended up becoming a burden for them. And that's what legalism does. Some of you guys, God has rescued out of a legalistic kind of maybe Christian background or church background where there was just all these kinds of rules and regulations that you look at and say, hey, the Bible's silent on these things. In fact, way back in the day, RVC began in a movie theater. And there was, you know, we actually had grandparents that had never been to the movie theater because they had, you know, the conviction was in that era that going to the movies made you more of a sinner. You know what I mean? Until Christians started producing movies. And then you got to have to go, well, I guess, Lord, I'll take one for the team, right? And I'll go see, I'll go see a movie that uh, Christians have produced. Uh, and in fact, Tammy's grandparents, the very first time her grandpa ever went to a movie theater was to hear me speak uh, in that movie theater. So I was, I guess, um, I guess guilty of turning him into a sinner, according to his old church ways. Legalism, it puts burdens uh, on people. Um, and that's what was happening this day, where they were just scared to make a move. They had all these regulations. This is how many steps you could take on the day of, of, of Sabbath. There are, you couldn't, you know, just all kinds, well, 39 regulations. They made more regulations for this particular law that God had given them for rest and relaxation and refueling and recharging. And they had created this, this long list of burdens that the children of Israel and those that wanted to honor God actually had to follow. Uh, it, it, it burdens people. It puts their eyes on themselves and not on God. It leads to pride, which is ugly in God's eyes. It leads to this idea that there's a varsity group of Christians among us, and then there's a junior varsity group of Christians, right? It might show up in ways where people would say like, hey, does your church read out of the King James version of the Bible? And you're like, no, no, I don't think, I think we read out like a, oh man, that's not the way. Do you guys sing hymns? Or, or, or by the way, Pride can go back and forth. Oh, you guys sing hymns still? Oh my gosh, you guys aren't really like listening to the spirit, right? And you know, it just is so crazy how we can get so legalistic. Oh, I won't do this and I won't do that. Or I go to a church where, you know, and by the way, sorry for the shorts today. It is 108, I think. And so that's what happens. We have snow cones and I may break tradition uh, and dress a little different on a Sunday morning. Pride is where legalism leads. Churches can create those kinds of norms where you might hear somebody say, well, a real Christian would never fill in the blank. Have you ever had that conversation with somebody or even had it yourself? Uh, man, a real Christian would never go and do this. You know what Jesus said real Christians do? They love God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they love their neighbors or self. It's, it's not a, like a list of like, these are the things you should avoid. Make sure you don't dance. Make sure that you don't play cards as if those things in and of themselves actually make you farther away from God or closer to God. Again, the focus is on the externals and not the heart where Jesus wants to get to. And it's so sad that these religious leaders, they continue to miss opportunity after opportunity to actually find real life through their Messiah, Jesus, but they continue to reject him because he's breaking traditions. It's what Jesus will eventually get to uh, in one of the other Gospels is that he said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful and adorned on the outside, but inside you're full of decay and death. 
And so it is on the Sabbath. It's almost as if Jesus um, intentionally breaks their traditions and their rules. Not God's command for keeping the Sabbath holy. At some point, the religious leaders said, let's send a group out and let's observe Jesus. Not to find out if he's the Messiah, but let's find a way so we can catch him and discredit him. So his disciples are out in the fields. And as they go out in the fields, by the way, God's law had created this you know, sort of system of you can help yourself when you're going through a hard time. Uh, if you owned a field of wheat or if you owned a field of olives or if you owned a field of dreams, just make sure you're still awake right now. If you build it, they will come. If you, if you own a field of grapes, a vineyard, whatever, you, you could, as the owner of your property, you could glean the inside of that, but the edges you are supposed to leave for the poor and the needy among you. And so if you're walking through your friend's field, you could, on the edge, you could actually grab a head of grain. What they did wasn't against the law. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25 tells them that you can do this, by the way, no matter what day it is. Deuteronomy tells us. So it wasn't what they did was the issue. It was the day that they did it. And they did work in the eyes of the religious leaders. They had a full-on farming system going on, according to the religious leaders. They grabbed a piece of the, you know, the grain. They rolled it together. They began to chew it, began to get some nutrients from it, chewed it up like gum. Who knows? And that's where the religious leaders said, you, you, you guys are working and you guys are not honoring God on the Sabbath. And here's this another why. They continue to ask why to Jesus and his disciples. Why are they breaking the traditions? Why are they breaking God's rules on the Sabbath? Look what they're doing. It's not lawful. So then Jesus asked them a question. Professional religious men, he asked them a question. Have you ever read your Bible? <laughs> it was their job was to read uh, Scripture. He said, have you ever read what David did? And of course they knew the story of what David had done. It was a familiar passage for them. David and his men, they were hungry. David was on the run from King Saul, and uh, he had a group of men with him, and they went to the, to the tabernacle, and they talked to the priest. He said, do you have any food here? He says, we only have the bread of the presence, which was uh, every single week they would replace like loaves of, I guess, wonder bread, you would say. And they would have it, and it represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And only the priests were able to eat that. And through this kind of breaking the Sabbath rules, we see that, that there's principles about the kingdom that begin to emerge. And the first one is this is that human need is more important than religious rituals. Human need is more important than religious rituals to keep or traditions. Again, he says, guys, David ate that bread. He even gave it to the men who were with him. And we see no protest from God or a prophet or the priest. It's because human need has to rise above like religious rituals and practices that people would keep. He's more concerned, the Lord is, with meeting human needs than protecting religious traditions. Hunger, the fact that people have hunger in this world, and yet it's so sad when religion takes over a person's life, a relationship with God, which should lead us to love others or lead them to love others, And yet religion leads them to ignore others or even despise others in the name of their piety. It's like what Jesus did earlier. He offended them. Why is is Jesus a friend of sinners? 
Again, he's breaking their tradition. For them, if, if they ate with any person who was a notorious sinner, remember he began to net, you know, name all the different types of sinners that were in the world, and then the worst being the person who works for the IRS, the tax collector. He says, why does your disciples and why do you eat with tax collectors? Anybody else upset with the IRS right now? Yeah, anybody waiting on their tax return? Should we start a protest right now? <laughs> Hey, by the way, they're just going to keep giving you free money. So, right? I don't know who's going to pay for it, but let's take it. Tithe. Let's get a building with all the money they're giving away. There we go. That was just a joke. <clears throat> so Jesus eats with sinners, and in their mind, you are one with the person that you're actually eating with. And it offended them. Again, breaking their tradition. There's nothing in God's word that says that you should actually, you know, despise a person who is a sinner in need of God's love. Again, David's example, human need trumps religious ritual. And yet in their mind, it would be better to go hungry than to violate their interpretation of the law and what they believed. Yet because of their rules, they're out of harmony with God's purposes. The Sabbath, Jesus says, was meant for human beings. And by the way, this is a, a law that was given to the children of Israel. You know, a lot of people have grown up in churches where, you know, you're like, hey, you can't do this on a Sunday, you know, on a Sunday. Don't ever do this. You're dishonoring God. You're not keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a Saturday, by the way, and it was a law that was given for the children of Israel. Is it healthy to take rest? A hundred percent. But you're not dishonoring God because maybe you went to walk on the treadmill on a Sunday or you happened to, you know, go golfing today. Well, I don't know why you would go golfing today in this heat. But you know what I mean? Maybe you, some of us grew up in that kind of environment. You're like going, oh man, is God going to like jack up my career because I went to Trader Joe's on a Sunday? Well, there's a lot of people that grew up in an environment like that. It was meant for you and I, or for the children of Israel, and the principle behind it is rest. How great would our lives be if we actually took a day and we just said, you know what, I'm just going to relax. I'm going to stay in bed. I'm going to actually recoup today and let the kids fin for them. No, I'm just kidding. You can't do that. By the way, Tammy and I had, this is why we know at 51 that uh, we did not want any more kids. Uh, we had our granddaughter over for the first 26 hours of our life all at the same time, Friday night to uh, Saturday night. And uh, we survived. We passed out on Friday night around like 9 o'clock trying to watch a movie. And uh, so we get it. We understand. We're super happy empty nesters. And, uh, but we had a great time with Addison, uh, certainly hanging out with her. He's, he said the Sabbath was made for human beings to give us rest, to give the children of Israel rest, not create the Sabbath so that they could run around and feel all these burdens to do all these different things. And then he said he was Lord of the Sabbath. Again, a, 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 a sign to them, a, a uh, communicating to them, guys, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. Again, that's what Mark is painstakingly getting us to as he walks through this 16-chapter little gospel book he wrote so that we would understand who he is, his identity. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, and the implications of what that means to be the Messiah from chapter 9 all the way to the end of chapter 16. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And if Jesus, who's the Lord of the Sabbath, was not offended, there's no reason for these religious leaders to get offended. Right? They missed the heart of God, his purposes and his desires to love God 
for them was replaced for the love of religion, and it led to pride and fault-finding rather than taking the love of Jesus to the hungry and the hurting that were among them. We talk about examples, but it reminds me of a time in the church when, uh, you know, dressing your best for God was, you know, kind of a thing, right? Uh, This idea that you're going to honor God, you know, with the way that you dress. Tradition. I was thinking about that today because I used to I used to dress up really dress up for church way back in the early day because I wanted a paycheck, right? But when did we stop wearing robes and Birkenstocks like Jesus? That's what I was thinking about today. I'm like, so again, every culture has their own traditions, right? And yet, I wonder how I many sometimes those those kind of traditions and rules that we don't find in Scripture have kept someone away from a meeting where they could actually explore the claims of Jesus. Like wearing a hat. I'm so thankful that we don't have a, a real sanctuary. Like tater tots will be thrown in here in September. Like this, this cafeteria. Guys, the, the house of God is the body of Christ. Jesus dwells in Christians. He doesn't dwell in buildings. This is a cafeteria. This is where kids will, you know, find the love of their life and have their heart broken and eat some food that eventually is not going to be good for them, right? And and yet, we had, you know, time where a kid would wear a hat, a young kid, a young young kid, a teenager would wear a hat to church, and there'd be some grumpy guy saying like, son, take that hat off your head so we could talk to you about the freedom that we have in Jesus and the joy that we have in Jesus. Right? We have our man-made rules that we like to add. I remember... The story of Tam and I were part of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, down in, the, uh, in Southern California, Costa Mesa, it's 67 degrees, a little overcast right now. And, uh, and Calvary Chapel was such a great movement. It is crazy. You know, the pastor wore a suit every single week. All the other pastors wore suits, but there was in a culture, and he continued till the day he died, to wear a suit. And that was just, you know, you do what you want to do, is their, was their idea. And, and, and yet there was this time when all these hippies, all these dope-smoking hippies, maybe some of you were among that group, and uh, they all started getting saved, but they're all surfers. They had their little VW vans, and now they got their Bibles, and they're doing Bible study, just laying in the street, reading their Bibles, their King James Bibles, which all they had at that time. And uh, then they would go to church on Sunday morning at Calvary Costa Mesa. And, and, and a couple of the board members, they started seeing all the carpet get destroyed from all this sand. You know what I mean? You ever get a new car and then take your family to the beach, and it's like, we're never going to eat in here right? And everyone's going to take a shower twice before they get back in. And then all of a sudden, sand and dogs and French fries drop in the little air conditioning ducts, right? And all this, whatever, we change. And so they put a sign out there in the front that said, no sandy feet. And Pastor Chuck went by and saw that sign, and he tore the sign down. And they had a little discussion with one of the board members. And the board member said, listen, Chuck, if we keep letting them bring their sandy, dirty feet in here with no shoes on, they're going to ruin the carpet. You know what his answer was? Well, then let's tear the carpet out so that we can just sweep up the sand on the concrete so that they can hear about the love of Jesus. That was at a time period, my friends, when that kind of cultural shift in a church was like unheard of. And yet, God brought thousands upon thousands upon thousands of young people to Jesus. Because of that, let's give them Jesus in our traditions. 
You think about guys like you might listen to, Greg Laurie, right, on the radio or watch him on TV. Uh, you know, just literally, uh, probably 10 of the largest churches in America were guys that got saved during that era down in Costa Mesa. It's just amazing what God did. God's not looking at your jeans, your flip-flops, or your shiny shoes, or your coat, or your tie, and then saying, like, well, there's a serious follower of mine. I got my eye on that person, right? He's not looking at any of those things. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at the heart of people. And guess what? He's also looking at the hurt in people, as on the same Sabbath, Jesus goes into the synagogue. Now, now they're taking notes. Okay, he's a friend of sinners. He claims to be God who can forgive sin. He, um, uh, let's see, what else has he done? Well, he's done a lot, right? Um, he doesn't fast like the Pharisees fast, or even the John uh, the Baptist disciples fast, so he doesn't keep those traditions, right? Fasting twice a week, you know, on, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, all day, and walk around in this morning attitude. And now he lets his guys eat some, you know, rub their hands together and break the Sabbath rules. Let's see what he does in the synagogue. So he shows up in the synagogue. And it says again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that he might, they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Notice this. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. You imagine this miraculous moment in the synagogue? Everybody's looking at that guy with that arm that's just dangling there, and Jesus has him stand up in front, like, come on up here. He stands up in front. This arm stretches out, and all of a sudden, tendons and muscles and everything starts straightening out like it's just like the same size as the other arm. And you would think the Pharisees would be like, okay, you know, you got us on that one. Like, wow, okay, that's, you know, now I get it. You're the Messiah. And it says that the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians. This is like the pro-life and pro-choice group getting together because they have a common enemy right now. And against him, how they might destroy him. This is when they begin to plot his death because, again, he breaks their tradition. He breaks rules and changes lives. On that same day, Jesus entered the synagogue. They watched him. All eyes were on him because a man of great need was there on this day. And they wondered if Jesus would violate their interpretation of work on the Sabbath, healing someone. It's amazing. It's like these guys, if they saw a guy say, up, up, and away, and he starts zooming around. By the way, I don't like that question. 100 mile an hour running, but 10 miles an hour flying. Can we do 50 miles an hour and 50 miles an hour? Now I have an option, right? But let's just say he's buzzing around 100 miles an hour. This guy just is up, up, and away, flying everywhere, right? And uh, it, they actually would wave from the land and say, hey, 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 do you have a pilot's license to do what you just did? Right? Rather than just going like, oh my gosh, dude, who are you? You have these supernatural powers, Everything that, that God's word had promised about the Messiah, you're fulfilling before our eyes. But we want to connect with Herodians who want to actually have you killed. 
They couldn't look at the evidence, the miracles, that this is the promised one and believe. They knew he could heal. They knew he was a man of compassion and that they wanted to catch him in the act of breaking their traditions. It's interesting that they link the most needy guy in the synagogue with Jesus. The guy who had the greatest need, that's who they knew Jesus would actually be drawn to. That's who Jesus is. They knew that Jesus would notice, and I love it. You know, it says, the Bible says, where two or three are gathered, Jesus himself said it, where two or three are gathered uh, together in my name, there I am in the midst. You know, as God's people gather together, even as we gather together this morning, uh, you know, this committed group to make it all the way here in the heat, those who are watching live right now are going to watch later on. Here's what we need to know. Again, another principle we find on the Sabbath days that Jesus is interested in the most needy among us here today. I think it's sometimes we feel like Jesus isn't interested in us because, man, we have such great need or great struggle. He wants to be chummy with the guys who have their lives together. Have you ever had that conversation in your head or wondered that about your life? We just go like, God, are you tired of hearing? Literally, literally, this prayer I prayed this week. Lord, man, I got to be the pastor in town that struggles the most, right? Has the, the most that I come to you with and, you know, just tri- trials and mess and whatever. You know, just like, because I look around and it's just what the enemy does. Like, oh, man, man, Sean, he's got his crud together. You know what I mean? I mean, Pastor Sean, he's got a big old building over there. I mean, he's got two little, three little bulldog pups, by the way. And if they have blue eyes, he'll sell them for 15 grand. Talk about God's blessing on his life, right? <laughs> we just, that was my conversation. Like, bro, blue eyes or not? Is a tithe check coming over from Clovis Hills or not? And he says, we have to wait till week, uh, week six to find out if they have blue eyes or not. So if you guys see anything out on Instagram, you let me know, forward it to me, and I'll hold them accountable for that cash he promised. We kind of look at that and say, you know, the ones that make God look good. You know, look around at Christian community and go like, oh, man, look, they got their stuff together. Boy, God must be like, mm. you know what I mean? Kind of like when the angels, you know, uh, came in before God and Job was there and God's just like bragging about Job. Not Job wasn't there. The devil was there. And God was like, have you seen my servant Job? You know what I mean? He's looking down and go, even just I people coming up to church like, mm, they probably never fight with their spouse. They probably just honor their husband they probably just love their children. They're so patient. They probably never, like, you know, uh, as my mom used to say, fly off the handle, <laughs> right, with anger. Whenever she said that, we just knew you should leave. You should go somewhere else for a few hours. That's not the way it is. You look at here. We look, your, your answer's right here. You know who God's concerned with right now? The, the biggest need in our room, which I'd imagine is a lot of us. He's concerned with what's going on right now in your life. On this Sabbath day, he lets us know that God is concerned about changing lives, even breaking the traditions of the Pharisees. In fact, if you have jot notes down, and again, want to reiterate, apologize for the technical difficulty not having scriptures or words on the screen. We'll get that fixed next week. But if you are taking notes, number two is that God's desire is to meet human needs and restore lives. If you have something paralyzing your life today, you have a withered arm, so to speak, in your life today, God's concerned with that. He wants to, to bring that out into the open so that he might 
bring healing and restoration in your life. So he says to the man, hey, stand up, come here. So he stands up and he comes to the front. And then he looks at the religious leaders and he says, let's just get this straight. Is it right to do good or evil on the Sabbath in your eyes? Is it right to kill or to save lives on the Sabbath? A kindergartner could answer that question for us today. Oh, no, you should do good on every day. Bad things are happening seven days a week. Evil's happening seven days a week. It's as if Jesus says, so why shouldn't we be doing good and restoring lives seven days a week? What they wanted Jesus to do is say, hey, stand up. I see your withered arm. You're going to have to come back tomorrow because tomorrow is the first day of the week, and that's when we heal and restore lives. But we don't break the traditions of the religious establishment. Jesus looks around with anger at them. You know the things that make Jesus angry? Hypocrisy and attitudes of religion and and sort of this pious attitude of greater than, less than stuff that keeps people out of the kingdom. He talks about stuff later on. If you cause one of these little ones to stumble, speaking of children, he said it would be better that you tied a millstone around your neck, I don't know, several hundred pounds, and drop it into the sea. That means like, bye. Like, it would be better for you to actually not exist than to cause somebody to stumble. Well, that's exactly what they're doing on this day. Is it right to do good or evil? He didn't violate the law on the Sabbath. He just chose to use this as an opportunity to set somebody free and gain their life back. Some historians believe that this guy actually worked as a masonry guy. You know what I mean? He worked with his hands, and now he's out of work. He can't provide for his family. We're going to make him wait another day. The term that Jesus used, that they were, or Mark uses, their hearts were hardened. It's a word that means bones mending. They were so calcified in their hearts that they couldn't have compassion anymore. And yet this would give him his occupation back, his ability to provide for his family. And so he says, step forth. He knew, uh, Jesus knew his hand was withered. But this man also knew, man, I've got a withered arm. And you can't get healed or set free until you admit your need. And he's confident that Jesus can help. That's another thing that I rattled around this week. I'm I'm not Sean. By the way, those were all bad thoughts. I'm not suggesting, hey, think bad things about yourself and think other people are better than you. That's not, it was a false stuff going on that I needed to wrestle with God about. But the other thing I learned this week is that, man, wouldn't it be awesome if you and I approached God's word with the same intentionality that this man does? to come with expectation, to know that Jesus is alive, and then to know that you and I don't have to go through our lives with an arm withered for our entire life. That's what's happening this day. And Jesus says, stretch forth your arm. Now, others that were gathered there, as they heard Jesus say, stretch forth your arm, it's like, not cool, Jesus. Wow. Oh. You ever put your foot in your mouth before? Where you like, you say something, you just go like, oh, Dang, this is the wrong moment and the wrong people to be saying this. Just me? How about on a Sunday morning with a microphone? Anybody else? No? You know what I mean? You're just kind of like going, oh, yeah, that one was not smart. I hope they didn't hear me. Wait, what did you say? And then you keep talking? It's terrible. 
Jesus, I can't believe you would ask a man who has a withered arm. He can't stretch it out. I wonder if the guy is like, you know, Jesus, I'm glad you brought that up. I've tried a thousand times and it still won't work. Are you mocking him? No. In his mind, he could have thought, that's the one thing I can't do in my life. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. But because he says I can, even though it's an impossible command, he wouldn't ask me to do something I can't do. I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to stretch out my arm. And I believe the moment he willed to obey, there's this supernatural power that came in his life in that moment, and that miracle happened for him. The moment he said, even though I've tried to deal with this, or I've tried to stretch out my arm, so to speak, because Jesus has commanded me to do it right now, I'm going to obey. And when he willed to obey, that choice to say, God, in my head I know I can't, but something's telling me in my heart I can. I'm going to stretch out my hand. Again, he wouldn't ask me to do something that I can't do. He says, I'll trust him. In that moment, he said, I will. He found the ability to fulfill the command. And Jesus will bring you and I, like he does on this Sabbath day. Again, he breaks rules so he could change lives, and that's what he wants to do, not only in our lives uh, as we journey out of here, but even this morning, as he brings us face-to-face with the impossibilities in our lives. There's something that's withered in our lives, and all of us have a, a withered area of our life, something that's paralyzed. It could be an, an out-of-control habit where we're living a flesh-dominated life, and it's beginning to just defeat us. I think we all have those, maybe something that you're wrestling with today. You say, you know what? This, this fleshly area of my life is just taking control, and I want to stop, but I can't. And you watch all the YouTube videos and like, hey, get a rubber band. Remember that back in the 70s? Like, just snap your wrist, and then you'll, you'll become, like, victorious. Like, my wrist is bleeding. It's not working. Maybe a situation that you can't find victory in. You just feel like, man, I keep tripping up. I keep stumbling over this over and over. Maybe it's an unhealed, broken area of your life. You know, as a kid, you break your arm and, and maybe your arm's set again, you know what I mean, where it's like functional, you could pick up a glass of water, but you can't throw a baseball because it never, you never saw a doctor where it actually, they properly set your arm. You know, sometimes the Lord comes and says, you know what, if you're going to be able to do things that I created you to do, we're going to have to re-break this area of your arm so that it can heal properly. Maybe there's an unhealed, broken area of our life, or maybe we're harboring unforgiveness over a deep wound. And you just say, man, I can't forgive that person. Friend, that's a withered arm. And you carry it along in life, and you drag it along in life, and it's not God's best for our life. He didn't ask the man, hey, how are you getting along with just one arm? Is the other one good? You know what I mean? Are you doing all right with that one? You figured it out? He didn't say that. He says, stretch out your arm face to face with the withered area of his life, your place of weakness. And somebody has said appropriately of, of this passage, God's commandments are his enablements. If he commands you to do something, you better believe that he'll give you the power to obey it or fulfill it. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's hard to read, right? Like, forgive those who wound you. And does anyone else struggle with like, forgiving people that wound you? I don't mean like, oh, gee, I, I saw on Instagram, they all had a birthday party, didn't invite me. Oh, boo-hoo, I'm so sad. 
Even though I have complained about that to my wife. <laughs> like, can you believe it? I can't believe they would go, right, didn't invite us. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, cutting stuff. You know, I mean, oh, I forgive you. Oh, you went to Annex Kitchen without us. You know what? All forgiven. You know what? God bless you guys. Like, come on. I mean, wounds. Hurt. Hurt your kids. Hurt your spouse, your parents, your sibling. Where it's just like, your reaction is, you know what? I want to punch you in your throat for what you've done a million times. And then, you know what I'm going to do to you next? But he's just like, Lord, I, I, I can't, how do you do this, Lord? His commandment is his enablement. He says to us in Ephesians to forgive those who, who wound us and hurt us, right? There's a lot of commands, by the way, that you read and you say, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do that. Man, that's crazy, Lord. But the moment you decide to obey, his strength is there. Wouldn't it be great if we approached the Bible like that with that kind of attitude? Lord, if you're asking me to do something, you know what? Then I believe that I am able to do it, not in my own strength, but the power that you'll provide. Again, his commandment is his enablement. I can't on my own, but the one who stands here says, stretch out your withered hand and obedience on our part, the will to obey, I'll do what he says and the ability is there to meet the command. And the moment you and I stop arguing with God, but Lord, you know, you know, we Norwegians, we're, you know, angry and we're, you know what I mean? Like I'm half Norwegian apparently. And, uh, you know, Norwegians, they get mad. You know what I mean? I don't know, do you have a, uh, a heritage that you can blame your messes on to? Or you can say, like, well, you know, us, we're like, I'm like one-eighth Italian. And so, you know, I know good pizza, and sometimes I might get a little mad, hot-headed, whatever it is. You just say, well, Lord, this is why I'm like this. This is why I have a withered arm. When you stop arguing with the Lord and you say, God, I'll obey you. I will obey you. You'll discover a new power in your life to live out the Christian life, which is impossible in our own strength. So he says, stand forth. He brings us face to face, face with our withered area. We choose to believe that he can restore, and we choose to will to obey and stretch forth our hand to forgive, Ephesians 4 tells us. What if you said, uh, hey, husbands, are you any husbands here today? Where are you at? I'm not going like, to be in trouble, right? Father's Day was last week. <laughs> To love your wife as Christ loved the church. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand now. Is that difficult? Don't raise your hand. It's hot already. It's already going to be grumpiness. We're going to have tension in our households today. Is it hard to obey? Let's, let's go the other way. Wives, honor your husbands. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Can I get an amen, ladies? Nothing? Well, you don't know the husband that not the Lord, but the devil sent me. You know what I mean? He's go, what if you just said, God, I don't know how it's possible because I'm looking for some reciprocation. I'm not saying don't go to counseling. I'm not saying don't share your needs. I'm just saying when God's word says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, what if you just said, Lord, I'm going to obey? And what if God's power would meet you in that moment to say, on a Monday morning when you want to be fleshly and selfish, and you just say, you know what? This is how I'm going to love my... These are the things she's communicating to me that says, this is how I receive and need love from you. 
and you said, that's ridiculous. No, you just said, you know what? I'm going to choose to obey to love my wife as Christ loved the church. How different your life might be. How amazing the power might come in your life through the Holy Spirit simply by saying, God, I'm going to obey. To rejoice. This is one last week. You know there's a command in the Bible to rejoice in the Lord always. And as I go about my weeks, as you might go about your weeks and you start looking at all the wrong things that are in your life rather than the blessings that are in your life, you just go rejoice in the Lord. How about you start hooking me up again and then I'll feel joyful. Or maybe it's a command to obey, to rejoice in the Lord. And what if that obedience of yours, all of a sudden God's spirit begins to meet you and you go, you got nothing to be joyful about. You know what I mean? Your friends are like going like, what, what are you joyful about? Like, well, it's not about the situations in my life or the circumstances. My joy is in the Lord. I'm rejoicing in the Lord, as Paul said, because that's a command. What if God met us in those moments? Or to put to death a fleshly area that's been dominating our lives. You know, Paul says in Romans 6, he says, to reckon yourselves dead to sin. It doesn't have power in your life anymore. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he not only paid the penalty for our sin, but he broke the power of sin. It doesn't have to dominate our life. Are you and I ever going to be sinless? Listen, if your husband ever comes and says, yeah, he told me he hasn't sinned in six months, bring him over to us. We'll talk to him, okay? No one's ever going to be sinless. It's impossible. But you and I can gain victory over areas of our life if we would just take God at his word and say, God, I'll stretch out my hand. It's not mustering up strength. It's something that God does when we choose to obey. Now, these guys, at the end, they see this man that's strengthened. And again, you know, we read this and it looks, you know, it, it's in context. We don't see anyone jumping up for joy or anything like that. Can you imagine this man's family? Can you imagine his wife there in that synagogue? Can you imagine his kids that he hasn't been able to carry in how many years? You imagine his boss saying like, okay, I saw that healing. You better be there tomorrow morning. There's so much joy in that synagogue because somebody had said, God, I want to believe you and find freedom. And yet the Pharisees, man, they just doubled down. That's it. Long walk off a short pier for Jesus. We are done with him. And they connect with their enemies so that they might find a way to finally put him to death which is their whole plan all along. Let me ask you today, do you have a withered area of your life? Do you have a, a situation that's going on today that even as Fuego comes and closes us out in worship today, you say, you know what, Lord? I know it's impossible in my strength to get over this area of my life. Again, I'm not negating counseling. I'm not negating, you know, getting help for areas of our lives that we need help for. I'm a huge fan of counseling. I'm a huge fan of recovery meetings. I'm a huge fan of things that give you tools to help you and I become successful in life. But there's a moment that you say, but God, I'm not looking to any of those things alone for my healing. God, I'm looking to you. Maybe it's an area of hurt. Maybe it's an area of struggle. What if you just said to the Lord this morning and again tomorrow and again the next day, God, I'm going to choose to stretch forth my hand 
to love who you're calling me to love, to forgive who you're calling me to forgive, to yield this painful area of my life to you so I don't have to walk around with a withered hand for the rest of my life. Lord, thank you for, Lord, getting us, uh, Lord, here today. Lord, thank you for the simple things like an incredible air conditioning unit here in this cafeteria. Lord, for my friends that have gathered here, Lord, because they want to grow closer to you. Lord, I pray that each one of us, Lord, would become more and more like you, Jesus, less and less like the Pharisees, where we have this greater than, less than mentality that we're better than another group of Christians because we do this or wear that or whatever it is, Lord, these little additions that we have that your word is silent on. Lord, I also pray that you would help us, God, as we see this principle here, that, Lord, you've come to meet our needs as human beings. We're needy. Lord, you've come to restore lives. Lord, I pray right now for my friends. God, there's, I'd imagine, a lot of withered arms right now. Areas of our lives, God, that we've yet to say, God, I will will to obey you and receive on the other side the power of your Holy Spirit to do the impossible. I pray that you'd bless my friends right now, God that you would give them the ability to stand forth, to show their area of weakness to you, Lord, and God, to obey and stretch forth their hand. Friends, with eyes closed and heads bowed, man, maybe, maybe you need some prayer today. Maybe you're one with a withered arm or some area of your life, some struggle, some area that you want victory in, some area that you've been ignoring. And right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to you I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you this week. There's nobody looking around right now, but if that's you, just lift your hand up. Lift your hand up. It's almost like a step of faith saying, God, I want to be one. God bless you. Anybody else? As we wrap up this prayer. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? I see man, a lot of hands for our gathering this morning. God bless you in the front. Lord, you see these hearts, Lord, that are saying, God, bring healing, bring restoration, bring power, whatever it is, Lord. You know the withered area of their life. You know the withered areas of my life. And Lord, may we stand forth, God. And Lord, may we choose to obey you and stretch out our hand that we might find freedom, that we might find restoration. God, that we might find healing. Lord, believe that Jesus that you want to bring healing and touch our lives. And I pray that you would do that even this morning, God, as some are responding now, God, choosing to believe you, choosing to stretch out their hands. Lord, we love you today, God. We thank you for our time now. Lord, would you bless each and every one of these friends of mine, God, those that raise their hands, Lord, that need that touch from you, Father. Would you strengthen all the others, God, in the areas of their life of concern, the parents, God, the workers, the business people, Lord, every person, God, in this gathering, I pray you would bless them today, Lord, as we leave. May you keep us healthy and safe in this uh, crazy weather this next couple weeks. And Father, may you bless our little ones, God, even as they got to learn more and more about you in an environment that's age appropriate. Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.